Welcome home. We are WNST AM 1570 Towson, Baltimore and Baltimore positive. Um, we're going to get the crab cake tour back at it. I tell you, you know, this February thing's tough. 20 degrees in the morning. I, you know, I used to like sort of vacation this time of year right now. I'm sort of doing some things over here at Baltimore positive in regard to Orioles season and the crab cake tour and our friends at the Maryland lottery. I'll get back to giving all this stuff away. Uh, our friends at window nation as well. Eight, six, six, nation. We got some new sponsors coming on. We have cool stuff happening with the Liberty pure uh, solutions and some water treatment and some information there. Uh, also our friends at Jiffy Lube MultiCare want to give them uh, some love as we get ready. <laughs> You know, there's an exhale, right? Like after the Super Bowl, after you lose an AFC championship game at home, I mean, sort of unprecedented after you get news that the sun is going to shine. I keep going the wrong side of the monitor. Uh, the sun is going to shine again over Camden Yards, and Cal Ripken's going to be an owner of the team by uh, the time I'm eating snowballs and they're melting in the summer, right? Luke Jones joins us now. I, Luke, I mean, you and I usually go at this with like, Ravens, offense, coordinator, coaching, Lamar, Lamar, contract, Acosta, uh, 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 Indianapolis, let's get on a plane, let's go freeze, let's go drink all night at the Sun King Brewing Company, let's honor the great Peter King who retired this week. But instead, like, this exhale period, especially when I'm thinking politics, Trump's on my timeline, like just, you know, hockey, basketball, the things that you would fall into, the Terps, but this spring training thing where – Rock Cabaco's tweeting out video of some guy hitting a home run or hitting, like, like, and I got to be paying attention to this. I don't know. This feels like an exhale for sports for me where I'm getting ready for opening day. I'm getting ready for a March madness. It doesn't feel like it's going to happen here, but like if you and I are doing 6am Monday morning radio on the last week of February in a leap year, uh, and there's no Olympics, there's no like Maryland's no good. I mean, lacrosse is early, like whatever, even it would be. This is a weirdly slow time, but it is giddy, giddy, giddy. I mean, in the regard to sports fans, we want to talk about something, even if it's, um, you know, something as important as uh, the wide receiver having domestic issues and people wanting to not talk about. Like, there's just a lot. There's stuff happening, but none of it's like happening this week where we're buying tickets for it and the game's happening. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's plenty happening as far as what's coming up. But as it pertains to this specific week, it's not a whole lot. Now, I will say this. I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge. Yeah, the Combine does start this week. And if you're really super into the draft, yeah, NFL Network's going to have the coverage of the workouts later in the week. And, and there's all that. But for a lot of fans, and even frankly, if pulling back the curtain, a lot of media, there's only so much that's going to stem from that that's really headline worthy right now. John Harbaugh, Eric DeCosta are both going to speak in Indy. I'm guessing we're not going to hear a whole lot of substance. We're going to hear talk. They're going to talk uh, about the positions of need that the Ravens have. They're going to talk in very general terms about a Justin Matabike and whether they're going to place the franchise tag on him and their other pending free agents and what's going to happen there. Uh, and on the flip side, Orioles. Grapefruit League games have started. That's great. Had a chance to watch the the lousy center field camera on, on Masson on Saturday, and that was like I was having a migraine. I called my wife in on the like the third at bat. I had and I said, please come in here and tell me how you can watch this. And she's like, oh my god, it's like making and she has eye issues from her kid. She's like, uh -huh. it's, it's making my head hurt. And I'm like, I just turned it off. 
I'm like, I want to watch it, man, but I can't watch it. It's making me physically ill. And I was emceeing this LLS event on Saturday. But, like, I was geeked up. I put it on at 1232, right? And I'm watching Rock sitting out there with some dude I've never seen before. Maybe, I mean, maybe I saw him last year in some pregame show. But I'm like, who's the dude? Well, okay. And then then Palmer's basically saying they're not at the game. And, like, I'm like, oh, my God, we need new owners here. And this is the stuff that used to, like, set me off a little bit and I, I, I socialed about it, but in the, in the, in the, the notion that there's going to be a new owner in this hope that like, this is really going to happen. And maybe I'm, I've been told by smart people, I'm not being naive. Like this is really going to happen. Like that's why I keep, we, cause you and I haven't talked about it a lot in the, in the mm-hmm. aftermath of the football thing happening and uh, you know, us doing the charity week and all that. I, I really hope it happens, and and I know the league want. I mean, everybody wants it to happen. I hope Mama Angelos wants it to happen because inevitably she's the one that's going to be signing, you know, that on for that. I hope it all gets done. But when things like that happen, it just shines like the um, the Bono spotlight, you know, on how awful it is. And I mean. This is the first pitch of spring training when they haven't had programming in four and a half months where, I mean, clearly I'm paying for it. I'm not stealing mm-hmm. it. It's not super TV with my toaster. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm paying them for the product and I don't think it's a real high bar to just expect something that's professional that again, the, the measurement for all of this isn't just whether I have a press pass back in my own world, because it is. People keep asking me, when will you know it's fixed? When I'm sitting in the press box like a normal reporter and being treated like a normal citizen and having people wave hello because I'm from Baltimore and I love the team and I wear a hat. My last name's Aparicio and it's the reason I'm here. Like, I feel like it's fixed. But there are so many signs for everyone out there to just know how awful it is. And I continue to write about how awful it is. And people still, I'm negative. I did 78 charity pieces last week and I'm the negative guy that no, it's awful. And, and it's, it's, it's apparent how awful. And I just hope, and I've said this to you, I hope that when the light comes up that they really do, It's significant. Next spring training, there needs to be 28 games on, right? You know what I mean? There needs to be like a real change in all of it. All of it. It just needs to all be changed other than Michael Elias and what's going on on the field. But every other aspect of it is so awful that I, I, I just can't get over it. But I keep thinking like, here comes the brighter day and I really hope it happens. Yeah, and that's, look, I don't want to sit here and talk about mass and, and its shortcomings to put it the, the, in the kindest way possible because we've talked about that for a long long time and because you're hoping a new day is coming much sooner rather than later but yeah it for me it's a reminder and i'll leave it at this because but it is wanna... the presentation of the game it, it, it is, is but what I don't... they present and they don't present anything for the next five days right like they only put a game on a week or whatever right like so this is their this is their way of selling their sport and it's so it's the reason it's not as great as it could be. And and at some point, the Rubenstein group comes in. You want to pay Rutschman. You want to pay the, the money has to come from us. What I can't turn the game off in the first inning of the first day. Cause I can't physically watch it. I mean, it's unbelievable. Well, I, I, you didn't have to turn the game off. You decided to do that. Um, but the, your point, I, look, I'm not going to disagree. And I don't, again, I don't want to talk 30 minutes about the awfulness of mass because we've done that for 15, I, 
I've done that for 15 years with you right now. And it's, it's a reminder and, and I'll leave it at this because there, I don't want to marginalize what's happening on the field because fans are really excited about that. And, and for the first time in several years and, you know, going back, of course, last year, of course, too, but it's a reminder of how much work there is to be done for the new ownership group. It's just one of many things as we've talked about, as much as things on the field are, are looking up and up and up and up after a 101 win season, there's a lot to do on the business side, beginning with Masson, beginning with what the renovations for Camden Yards are going to look like uh, and the, the investments being made there. So, But, but yeah, the opening I mean, day for every single fan was 1230. Like, I hear people were well, really excited about like, no, I mean, I, I felt like if there was it was a destination, it, you know, I mean, bars, bars all over Facebook were one o'clock. Come in. Sure. We have drink specials. Come watch the Orioles. And and I'm in loonies and, and, the, and the screen's going like, you know, like I, oh. I'm just thinking to myself, like new ownership can't come fast enough to sure. rescue this. Because everything else we're going to talk about, Cowser, Holiday, just keep we're, we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. All of that makes us tune in at 1230. You know what I mean? It makes you want to spend too much on opening day tickets and start to even look at the calendar and thinking, hey, man, Luke, you want to go up to Toronto, get your passport out, let's go see a game or whatever. And we got that. You know there's a solar eclipse coming through, right? On April I've, he- I've heard, yes. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, like, that was coming through Buffalo, and I was like, where's the games? And, like, where are the Orioles that week? So, anyway, I, you know, I'm thinking about, like, how can I have fun with the Orioles again? And I'm thinking maybe you and I should just go to spring training because if we go to spring training, the screen won't go up and down. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I'll say this, and I've, I've seen, I saw a number of people acknowledge this. And look, I watched some other spring training games. It can be windy in Sarasota, just like it can be at any spring training site. However, however, this was a good lesson of when you do it with a skeleton crew. Clearly, the broadcasters were not in Sarasota. You're going to have more issues. And yeah, there there were some other games I watched. And yeah, the center field camera can have some issues from time to time. I'm not not disputing that. Masson's not alone in that reality of spring baseball. But just do better. Doing, that's all. Just do better. Of course. Of course. That, of I course. mean, but, but that's, 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 that was, that's what got me thrown out 20 years ago was saying do better than this. And I know that the Rubenstein group. And I guess that is the hope for me. The hope for me is, you know, what, it's a stupid spring training game on a Saturday. You know, like, okay, fine, great. The team itself and what's going to happen, who's going to play second base, shortstop, um, just it it is full of intrigue. It really is. And I think that's why I want to watch the games where they don't shake and want to, like, you know, I'm the fish chasing the hook. Hook, You know, the team is the hook. There's no doubt about that. And who's going to pitch? That's, I mean, there's a lot of, intrigue in this spring training it's not a whole bunch of set roster pieces like it was in the davy johnson era uh, yeah i mean there aren't a ton but the ones that are open it's intriguing and of course we'd be remiss if we didn't begin with the kyle bradish update i mean he's throwing uh the so far so good uh, i mean that's about all you can say right i mean it's not you know there's not anything concrete other than he's increasing a throwing progression he said that he's felt good after throwing is he throwing bullpen sessions yet is he throwing sim games yet no and, and to me until we get to that point that's about where the update begins and ends right he's throwing you know, he's throwing from 60 feet 75 feet 90 feet so far so good 
hey, it's better than the alternative of him playing catch from 60 feet and his arm hurts and he's getting Tommy John surgery right away. So, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see. But in the meantime, there is more intrigue. Uh, Cole Irvin, for example, he didn't start Saturday, pitched Sunday, did get a chance to see a little bit of that that was on the Pittsburgh uh, cable channel since they were playing in Bradenton right up the road from Sarasota. Uh, but velocity was up. You know, he looked good. You know, he's missing bats. And that's not something you typically think of with Cole Irvin. So there's a perfect example, though, as much as you talk about the disappointment of not knowing what's going to happen with Bradish for the entirety of the season, uh, John Means knowing that he's behind. He's not injured, but knowing he's not going to be ready for opening day. I mean, Tyler Wells, Cole Irvin, step on up. I mean, it's this is your opportunity. And I, I think Cole Irvin's a guy that, you know, we spent some time talking about last offseason when they acquired him via trade, and we thought he would factor into this rotation more than he did had the really bad starts in April, got sent down, the command was off, the control was off, which was uncharacteristic for what he had done up to that point in his career. And very quietly, he came back, and, and I know he had a couple stints where he was up and down, but I think his ERA, I mean, he had a, a sub four, you know, he, his ERA was in the low threes from that point on. Now, it was mixed between some starts and some bullpen appearances, but the point is he quietly pitched pretty well for them over the final four months of the season after that stint uh, at Norfolk. So you're going to need that. Whether Kyle Bradish comes back and pitches and is healthy at some point in time or not, you're going to need more than just your projected five starters. I mean, that's just reality. Everyone knows that. So it's good well, to I see mean, Cole I, Irvin I, I, I like throw to always hard. go back to like Jamie Moyer. And I was there the year that he was sort of a throwaway guy and whatever. Then he goes on and pitches 15 years and like figures it out. And for guys that were high ceiling guys, and that's pretty much, you know, these guys take a gander on guys and the amount of guys they're going to need with injuries and everything else being factored into it. That, you know, you get a guy in a, a, a Bundy trade that a couple of years later you get mileage out of the, the relief pitcher. Batista is now going to miss a year. I mean, everything that shows up on my timeline are about how many pitchers in this modern era are having surgeries and the training that we're going through that if you and I were doing a legitimate radio row baseball piece and they shut the league down and we got together and we were really going to talk about the sport and what's going on with the sport with pitchers and arms and all of that. But the one thing about this group from Houston straight through is almost every year they, they, they they make a guy, they, they, they find a pitcher that they, they can do something with, with, with velo, with, stretching them out with taking a starter, making them a reliever, reliever, making them a starter, finding roles for people, even like finding whatever they found with Cano last year mm -hmm. for a, a month that he's like the greatest relief pitcher in the history. He's Bruce Suter for a month. Right. I, I, I don't, these guys are sort of geniuses about this. And when I start to see like Cole Irvin day two, like throwing the ball harder than he ever has, I'm thinking these guys know stuff. And it's not like, it was before where, you know, a guy goes away and comes back 25 pounds heavier and we're all winking <laughs> about the, you know, what they were doing back in the day and um, like all that. I, I, th th this is legitimate sports science stuff where they take guys strengths and say, if you can do 2% better on this, figure out one pitch, one motion, one arm slot, one thing that we have figured out about your body, about your arm, about your height about your wingspan, about the way the rotation comes off your fingers and spin rate, 
all of the science of all of this, these guys are really on the forefront of this. And that's why I sit here on the outside. If I were on the inside, they'd probably lie to me and run for me as if I had a badge, right? And I mean, last time I did, I sat at the kids' table. But if I really wanted to learn about this, like at a high level, these guys are the mad scientists of this. And there's a part of it, much like we did with the Costa and Ozzy when they could draft Ed Reed or figure out how to find Joe Flacco when they needed him, right, uh, in a draft. These guys can take yours and find guys, rule five, double-A pitchers that they're getting in deals and turn them into a good relief pitcher, turn them into a one-trick pony that can be very, very useful. And and that's I, – I guess that's the brilliance of Elias and Midell and – this group and the the way they're training pitchers. Yeah, and I mean, look, I think on the pitching side, there's still a lot to prove for for this group because we haven't seen them draft a ton of pitchers, right? I mean, we've, we've talked about that every year. It's been college hitters, and it's been you know a Gunnar Henderson type, you know, who obviously was a major flagship individual for their player development, uh, having drafted him out more of high school. Like a, them being a but, sure thing, like a running back, where like pitchers' arms fall off. So they're by their very nature, you draft four, one's arm's going to fall off before he gets the triple A. Like and at least with the hitters, you stand a chance. Like I, yeah. you're keeping your job, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. But I mean, really, what you just described, though, it's a four-letter word to so many older baseball fans, and not all. And, and I want to be clear, I'm not. I don't want to make too many generalizations, but the word analytics, information, really, it's information. It's taking. Yes, data, but things that you've learned and things that you see about a player and, you know, you, you identify a pitcher that was somewhere else and maybe didn't have the best numbers, but you say, you know what, that guy throws a really good slider. Why don't you throw that more? Uh, I mean, that's just a really simple example there that, you know, it's general, but they've had guys like that where someone has a really good change up or, you know, they're throwing a two seam fastball, but their four seam fastball seems to be better and has, you know, a pretty good spin rate. And why isn't he throwing that? And and all of those different things. But you no, know, it goes back to a term that you and I talked about a lot and the Astros cheating scandal aside was talked about a lot. The, the idea of growth mindset, the idea of identifying players identifying scouts and people within your front office and coaches who aren't satisfied with the status quo, aren't satisfied with, with the idea of a player being considered a, a finished product at any point in time, not just talking about guys in the minor leagues, but, you know, I, I mean, one of the early stories of, of spring training and you know, we'll see how it plays out, but Corbin Burns, a guy who's won a Cy Young award, you know, he's been working on a, a different breaking pitch, uh, supposedly, uh, and, and, you know, trying to expand his repertoire, which makes sense for him, not just for a new team, but hey, he's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. So he's trying to get paid, not he's going to get paid, but he's trying to get paid the absolute most he can. So, you know, that everyone. Oh, he's got a uh, chance is, to be a World Series MVP. Free agent, sure. Like literally, sure. Right? You, you hope so. Yeah. I mean, the Orioles certainly hope, hope so. So, but, but the point is with all of that, you have information, you have technology, you have player tracking, you have yes, statistics uh, that weren't necessarily there five years ago, 10 years ago, certainly weren't there 20 years ago and you use it. And that doesn't mean that it's fail proof. That doesn't mean that you're not going to run into some bumps in the road. And yeah, just because you have all this information about pitchers doesn't mean that they're not going to still get hurt. Uh, and we've seen that here firsthand with the Orioles, with Batista, and you hope not, but we know what the odds are, typically will tell us about what's going to happen with Kyle Bradish here. Uh, but 
you know, in the meantime, you are trying to develop other guys. And you said it. I mean, Yenier Cano, okay, he's not going to duplicate what he did in, in May, April, May, June, but he was still a good reliever the rest of the year. It's just he wasn't this ungodly, untouchable reliever, right? But the fact is, look at what he was when they acquired him from Minnesota, when they traded Jorge Lopez. He was a mess. I mean, he was a guy, I mean, Ben McDonald said it, uh, that was wondering, why is this guy even on the 40-man roster? He thought that going into last spring, and you see what he became. So that's not to minimize the concerns in the bullpen without Felix Batista. I mean, you're talking about a really special reliever you're not going to have. That's not to minimize the the concern of the potential loss of Kyle Bradish. That would that's really going to hurt if he well, can't. No, hang on a second. But, this is where I step up and say Batista wasn't all that special till he was. Cano wasn't anything sure. until he was, and that's where I think these guys. And look, man, I was down there in Fort Lauderdale where they're lifting weights in a back alley, and they, <laughs> they did. You know, I'm seriously right, like. Like, um, I think somebody said in the broadcast, maybe it was Palmer or no, it wasn't even Palmer. It was somebody in the broadcast that something about Richie Bancells would wink down the aisle in Fort Lauderdale or something like that. I, I heard something over the weekend and I'm thinking to myself, now they're sequestered in the back. Maybe it was Rakabaka that said that in the pregame. Mm -hmm. Now they're sequestered over here, sequestered over there. And I'm thinking, yeah, and they actually like have success and they actually figure out how to take guys. And I'm going to make a, a broad generalization here that'll make you chuckle. And if it gets back to Dave Johnson, I'll make him chuckle. But there wasn't much that Greg Maddox had that Dave Johnson didn't have in regard to physicality, in regard to being right-handed, in regard to being a command pitcher, in regard to never, you know, breaking radar guns or whatever. And one goes to the Hall of Fame and one's a serviceable major league pitcher. And on that fringe of this time of the year saying, can he be our number four, number five? And Jamie Moyer was that guy. And you know, to go to the Hall of Fame at that point in their life, late 20s. And I see pitchers in this system that find a thing that modern science would have them find that at least have, can have them be um, whatever the best they can be is because dude, these aren't bums. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we would say Bruce Zimmerman. Ah, he's just, you know, quad, quad. What? I don't know, man. Like it's really hard to, get anybody out at the major leagues and to hang around for a period of time and, you know, um, be, be a, a triple a bull bull Durham guy, you know, in and out the difference between that and, and being Yenny or Cano for a month or what we perceive Batista to be now that he wasn't two years ago. Right. And these guys that make major steps up, it, this is the time they do that. And they do that to your point with Corbin Burns working on a new pitch, working on, they don't, they can't work on a new pitch in November and December. They're not throwing the baseball, right? This is when they get a chance to air that out. And I guess that's what makes this franchise. My God, I'm saying this out loud. So interesting. And so fascinating yeah. is that they are cutting edge about how a guy that last year got farmed out and, June because he was no good come back and maybe win 15 18 games maybe make 30 starts this year because he just in March figures it out and winds up in the rotation because means can't do it and you know uh Bradish's arms no good whatever there are opportunities here and um sure. and on good teams and I, I keep referencing the Moyer thing because it's something I'm makes me sound like an old man and that's fine but it's a great example dude I was there every day when Jamie Moyer's doing March Madness pool cards and he's like literally not going to make the team wearing number 82, 
You know what I mean? And 15 years later, because he figures it out. And this is when guys figure it out. This is when it's all fun and games to us. And they're blowing bubbles in the, in, you know, on spring training or whatever, man, guys are fighting for their lives down there as much as they're trying to fish and golf and do whatever. But in, in an organization like this, this is a, they can make a lot of money here. Yeah. And look, I mean, couple things. I'll, I'll give you a more, more modern example than Jamie Moyer. How about John Means? I mean, John sure. Means in 2018 was called, literally was on his couch at home, and the Orioles were limping, limping, limping to, to that historically terrible last season they had under Buck Showalter and Dan Duquette. They had traded away guys. They needed arms. I mean, John Means was called off the couch, and he pitched at Fenway and got knocked around because the perception of what he was at that point was a guy that was an organizational arm. No more than that. And we saw what and, and, and I don't want to say it was only because of Mike Elias and the new baseball ops coming in. John Means put in the work, right? And so many of these guys, and this goes back to the growth mindset. One thing I'll disagree with you about a little bit is it's not just coming to spring training. Guys seek out instruction, whether it's private instruction, you know, facilities like driveline, you know, different things like that over the offseason where a pitcher or a hitter will rebuild a swing, whatever it might be, guys that are trying to refine what they do uh, really uh, it, it was so much more of a an art compared to a science and that's not to belittle what process was before in terms of player development and working on things i mean ted williams talked about the idea of launch angle and things like that he just didn't have Statcast tracking it for him right so jim Palmer, i wish my father were alive this time of year man yeah, my father I mean, bought the science of hitting and gave it to me when i was five years old right, i, I mean to buy these reels about rod carew and how it like and my dad loved that stuff, man. Yeah. I mean, it's always been a thing. It's just now there are tools that quantify it. I mean, the idea of spin rate, late life on a fastball, right? You know, a, a fastball that's perceived at, to have some rise. That's that's a fastball that has a really good spin rate. So it's just things that, you know, concepts that had always been talked about to some degree. It's just now analytics information i'll keep using that word information that you now have that you can quantify some of those ideas and now it's not just a case of, of okay there might be a pitcher or how about this a specific coach who is really really gifted those coaches were so valuable because you know you didn't have technology that helped you with this now walt riniak walt riniak would love all this right yeah but but now you have coaches who are really talented and on top of that they have information to go with that so now you have to you have to filter it out and, and there there is such a thing as information overload and i've seen it firsthand with some players who have flat out said yeah I, i'm thinking too much up there paralysis uh, by analysis yeah, right yeah so 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 there's always a, a fine balance here and michael Elias even talked about it on uh the broadcast you know th this idea of you try to make things as scientific as you can with what they have, but there's still going to be some art that comes into play there. And, and again, that goes into growth mindset, that goes into a player's mental makeup, goes into environmental factors around them, family life, what's going on with, you know, all, all those different things, you know, what, what kind of work ethic a player has. So, you know, but to bring it back, you know, we're, we're very general in how we're talking about this, but to bring it back to what's well, the last week of February, you know, I mean, this reminds me of being around baseball and having football show up here and having Marvin Lewis and Jim Schwartz take yeah. me under their wing and, and Phil Savage and literally talking to me from the moment they got here, the football people here, the Ravens people, 
And this is 1995-96. So now the Orioles have Doug Melvin's on his way out. Frank Robinson's on his way out. Pat Gillick's sort of on his way in. Phil Regan. Around that period of time, every football person I would ever meet would say, I can take that young man and make him better. From the minute I met Marvin Lewis, his whole thing was, dude, I'm not a coach. I'm a teacher. I take Peter Bolwer's skills. I draw up ways to make him better. He goes in the gym, eats his Wheaties, comes out, and we study how to do this better. I was around baseball every day of my life for 15 years before this happened, right? Like literally with a press pass like you at the cages talking to Greg B. Genie. They didn't talk like that in baseball. I mean, I mean, they just didn't. They just didn't talk like that. They just talked like, well, he's got the skill set. You know, he runs fast. He's a five-tool player. We'll bring Jeffrey Hammonds in here, and he'll be what he'll be. And, but then I would go out to San Diego, and Tony Gwynn would show me his little suite. This was literally a closet, dude. It was a friggin' closet. Like, it was a closet. It was right off of the corner of the locker room. It was a closet, and he had videotapes in there. They were stacked mm -hmm. up. It was insane. I mean, I've seen this with my own eyes, and that was as modern as the San Diego Padres and Major League Baseball could be at the same era. And the football people were Mel Kuypering and were, we're going to coach him up. We're, and that was the thing with Billick always, is I can take a player and make him better. I'm, I'm smart enough to make the, to study it, and get them to be better. Baseball's gone to a whole different level with managing that. And and again, the reason this team won 101 games is John Angelos, I'll, I'll give him big props for this. He hired Mike Elias. He did. And got out of the way. And like, and he brought in smart people, the same people that Eric DaCosta was studying to try to figure out how to do this in football better, the way Billy Bean and Moneyball and wherever the sport was going. And they've perfected this enough that their biggest detractor, Mr. Oriole Negative, just sits back and says, what are they going to come up with? Who are they going to fix this yeah. year? Like, I literally, it, there's going to be two or three guys that are going to make a market improvement because, to your point, there's evidence of this. John Means, we go through the list. Kanoe, Bautista, I mean, all of their stars were maybes in the old era. Maybe they would become Arietta somewhere else. Maybe they would become... Mm -hmm where whatever they would become somewhere else, but they could take Brad Bergeson and get three seasons out of him here, you know? Yeah. And, and, and really, I mean, as much as you're looking for the major success story, like a Yenier Cano who goes from terrible quad a looking relief pitcher to pitching in the all-star game last July, really what you're looking for ideally. And more realistically speaking is even if it's just incremental, improvement from everyone, right? 1% better, 2% better. And if you get that from enough guys, when you already have a team that won 101 games last year, then that's how you endure losing a Kyle Bradish and hopefully bringing in another starting pitcher at some point in time, which I still think whether it's by opening day or the trade deadline, I still think there's a good chance you're going to see that happen. I think you're going to see them bring in another reliever at some point, but in the meantime, yeah, you are taking a look at guys you have and you're looking for you know, whether it's Cole Irvin throwing 95 miles per hour, which he was touching in Bradenton on Sunday, which was something he was not doing last year. And look, it's one outing. Again, you don't want to make too much of it, but there's one example of, yeah, you're hoping some guys get better. And especially with your, your young guys. I mean, I look at someone like a Jordan Westberg. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about the infield, but what about the outfield? We've had, you know, the Orioles have had 
Cedric Mullins in center, Anthony Santander in right, Austin Hayes in left. And that's been what the outfield has generally been for four, five years. I mean, that's kind of that was kind of the first group to, to kind of settle in in this new era. But think about this, Nestor. Santander is going to be a free agent at the end of this year. Cedric Mullins is coming off of an injury-plagued season. He's going to be a free agent at the end of next year. Same with Austin Hayes, who was an all-star last year, but we've seen him wear down in the second half the last two years. That's not to say that those guys are going to be replaced on opening day or anything like that. Far from it. But when you're thinking through a long-term lens, I want to see Colton Kowser do what he did on Saturday, which was hit a walk-off home run, although certainly wind-aided in, in Sarasota, if you saw uh, the contact. But uh, I want to see Heston Kerstad take the next step. You know, what about someone like Kyle Stowers, who we were talking about a lot a year ago? And, yeah, you know, what's he had up a with really him? Rough... I, I, I actually I mean, I, forgot look, his name. I called him Stout. Yeah. I guess I was thinking about the uh, the, the, the movies Shorted in the late Stout 70s. The but, 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 but yeah, like I just – I'm like – where's I'm, he in all of this? I mean, there's only – to your point, we've already got three major leaguers yeah. and two other guys trying to figure out how to get in the lineup that's still nine. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, you know, in the case of Kyle Stowers, and look, let's be clear, as much as we were just giving the Orioles player development their flowers, that doesn't mean you're going to bat a thousand, right? And look, Kyle Stowers still is going to have an opportunity this spring, but let's face it, I don't think too many people are projecting him to be on their opening day roster like he was a year ago, but... He's still in the organization if he has a good spring. I, I think a couple questions for this team from a backup outfielder standpoint. Who's going to back up Cedric Mullins? I mean, Ryan McKenna has kind of been the default at times. And, of course, they had Aaron Hicks on the roster last year. But who's the backup center fielder right now? Can Colton Cowser do it? It looked awkward when he was playing center field at Camden Yards last year. But he was a rookie. So you don't want to, uh, you know, you don't want to uh, – make a, 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 de a definitive statement about where he is defensively, but someone's got to back up Mullins. Austin Hayes can do it, but if Austin Hayes is in center, then who's playing left and left field is a lot like center field in terms of the ground you have to cover. So I think that's where Colton Kowser, Kyle Stowers, I'll throw another name at you. You don't think of as an outfielder, but his role has changed. Jorge Mateo. If you want to talk about a guy having value as a bench player, Jorge Mateo's got to play more than a backup shortstop at this point because you have Gunnar Henderson, and whether he's here on opening day or not, Jackson Holiday's going to be here in Baltimore sooner rather than later. You have two, you have a already an all-star caliber shortstop in Gunnar Henderson and the best prospect in baseball. For Jorge Mateo to truly have some value, I want to see if he can be a backup center fielder. I want to see if he can play left field for them. And that's not not as a starter, but as a guy that, you know, can spell you in the late innings or if Someone needs a day off. So there's there are some questions there. Um, but, you know, it, you know, going back to just to finish the your, your question about Stowers, he had a rough 2023. We'll see how he rebounds. It might be. And look, he wasn't the number one prospect in baseball or anything like that. It might be that he's not going to figure it out to the degree that you hoped maybe a year ago. But he year is competing with the number one but prospects in baseball. That's part of the problem, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, and that's, you know, that's where we are right now with, with this, with this roster, you have a you lot of competition. I'm do a whole roster segment with you, man. Like I, I like, sure. I want to go soup the nuts with you and yeah. where we are, because I, I want to be educated as to where you think this is going. Cause it feels real crowded and, and it feels real crowded in a way like where they could deal something off and get an arm 
that could be very useful at any point yeah. between now and July, whenever. Let's break. Luke's here. We'll get some. We'll just do a whole bunch more baseball. We've sort of been roundabout with Masson and shaky cameras, and uh, you know, certainly not a shaky front office um, on the on the baseball side. But the shake up that is going to be this year of uh, what we hope is massive ownership change, um, massive sort of comeback to the city sort of thing and some ideas and fresh ideas and Cal Ripken and it looking and feeling different on the beginning of spring training this time next year. So we'll continue to measure this. You can find Luke, measure him out at Baltimore Luke, anywhere uh, the interwebs travel and social media. Got a whole bunch of cool stuff going on around here uh, in regard to sort of the development of what the new Baltimore positive is going to be. I've been working real hard on that uh, as well as crab cake row and a cup of super bowl, all the stuff up, all of it uh, brought to you by friends at the Maryland lottery. I've, uh, I'm going to get the crab cake tour back out on the road. I have our friends at window nation in mind as well. And Jiffy Lube multi-care. We have a lot going on as we get ready for opening day. We're going to be doing some live shows uh, downtown before baseball games on Fridays. I'm excited about that. So a lot of things happening around here that we will uh, get you up to speed on, including the Ravens. The Raven stuff happening and Combine stuff happening as well. Luke and I will be after all of that. We are WNST, AM 1570, Towson, Baltimore, and we never stop talking Baltimore positive.